when you realize what has actually been done for you and to you, if it has, there are some responses that should happen. I'm not telling you the intensity of the response, but there should be a response. Number one, that response of gratitude for sure, but that gratitude expresses itself in the way you live. And so it isn't just here that we sing and we shout and we say we're grateful, although we are. I want to ask that when we leave here, does that gratitude go past the foyer door and translates into a life that demonstrates to God and this world that you are grateful for what Christ has done? just want to say I'm so glad that we have people here that are not only grateful for what God has done, but they are looking forward to what he can do in their life as they prayerfully move forward. Yesterday, we had a great time in prayer as some of us gathered here for our quarterly postponed one-month prayer celebration. We normally have it at the beginning of January, but ice and snow kind of prevented that from happening. So we had it yesterday, and it was good. It was good because we had people around praying for us and for this ministry. Do you guys know our programs are not going to do it for us? Although we can, and we should have some good programs that help us get involved, do you know our music is not going to do it for us, although our music is good and our, and our singing is good and our, and our praise team and our choir um, work hard on that. You know, it's not just going to be preaching or someone preaching a well put together message. Sending all the word, although you better have that if you plan on growing in your faith. It is going to come through us submitting our hearts in prayer, showing and demonstrating our dependency on God by the power of the Holy Spirit that he works in our life in obedience to the word. So if prayer is not an integral part of our life corporately and your life individually, we will not see the depth of what God can do in and among us. If we are not praying people, we won't see the depth of what the Lord wants to do. I'll say that individually for your life, as well as mine, to the degree that we are before the Lord in prayer is the degree in which we will see his power at work in our life. Prayer puts us in a position of humility and demonstrating our dependency on God. For me to get up here today and just talk and put together an outline and a have a sermon and to think that that's going to do it. I'm dependent on me. But to get before God and to say, Lord, I need you as I speak before your people and they need you as they listen to your word in prayer is equally important. Today we're going to be looking at and going now later into Ephesians chapter 4. We started two weeks ago in that. I had encouraged you guys to look again over the first three chapters because Ephesians 1 through 3 sets up the therefore in chapter 4. 
and it lets us know, <clears throat> really, chapter 4 lets us know what our natural response should be. As a matter of fact, as we look at this, you know, chapter 4 in that very first verse can be stated as the summary verse for the next three chapters, I mean, for the next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6. It is a summary of what God wants to happen. But I mean, it, and, but that verse says, that verse says that in light of all the things in chapters 1, 2, and 3, that we are to walk worthy. And then he spends the rest of 4, 5, and 6 up to about verse 20 telling us what walking worthy looks like. And so we get to have a section of that this morning as we read. Can I ask you to stand with me, please? I have in your bulletins verses 8 through 16, but I'm going to start at 7, and then you can join me on 8. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. <clears throat> and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that as we hear it, that as I speak it, Father, that we would listen attentively and that we would respond obediently. We give ourselves to you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we see here as we looked, verses 1 through 6 really led us to this whole point of the unity in the faith. And he talks about after he tells us to walk worthy, he tells us how that worthiness will play out. One way in which it will play out is that we will function as one. We will work in unity. We will, we will work and we will live together as we live under that banner of Christ's salvation. And so he gives us this, and he talks about the love in which this unity will be encapsulated in. And just in case we thought it was unity at any expense, he gives us this he gives us this barrage of the oneness of the purpose of God when he says there was one faith, one Lord. And he goes on down and he says, this thing from the beginning was established to be in unity. 
But then he turns in verse 7, and he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He spends those first six chapters talking about the unity that has been brought because of what Christ has done and the unity in that body um, across even cultural lines because he talks about how the dividing wall was now brought down and, and how the hostility was no longer there even between Jew and Gentile and then how he has created almost this new humanity in Christ, something that didn't exist before. And now he tells them, in light of what Christ has done to bring this unity, he says, this is how you ought to live. But then in verse 7, he seems to take a turn, and he's now talking about each one of us. And he goes from this unity, and now he starts talking about us in detail, each one, each one. And so what you're seeing is that even in the unity, now Paul is shifting to this diversity in unity. And we see it now up till he gets down toward the end when he brings us back together to talk about unity. And, and that is exactly what God expects for his body. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. It is, it is this diversity in unity. And just in case you think that's something strange, just look down at your own bodies. You see diversity in unity. You didn't walk in here as one big head. You didn't walk in here as one big eye, as just one arm. You walked in here as a diverse, you had diverse members. You walked in here, arms, legs, eyes, nose, ears, heart, and yet they all operated in unison to present before you whatever, whoever you are. So when I walked in here this morning, arms, legs, all working in unison, you saw Pastor Curtis Costin, you don't address me as head, hey, head, hey, arm, hey, eye. You address me as that unit. And when we now come to Christ and we understand the unity that has been brought, we also get to understand the diversity in that unity. And so when people see us, they see body of Christ, even though they see each member operating in its diverse gifts that it's been given. And so God wants us to understand this morning as we look at this latter part of chapter 4 that he says, I want you to understand something that the grace has been given. The grace of God is expressed in how God has given to each one individually something that is to bless everyone collectively. Now hear that again, that, that, that he has given each one individually that which is to bless everyone collectively. See, we have today, whenever we talk about spiritual gifts, people start getting on the status train because we've kind of stratified gifts to give a status based on what you have. What kind of gift did you have? How, how has God gifted you? And we go through all the lists, and, and, and we like to categorize them. And most times when we think about gifts, we think about those gifts which are um, demonstrative in nature, that they demonstrate something. And so we hear lots of people talking about healing. We hear lots of people talking about those which make the individual look good. 
That was never the purpose of the gift in the first place. God says, for each one, grace of God, first of all, the way you got it, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, the way you get it is not based on you at all. The giver, it is at his discretion, his will, and he's the one that chooses who gets what. I know we're all standing up saying, God, I want this gift. Ooh, ooh, me, me. And God says, have a seat. I'm choosing what you have because I'm the one looking at how you are going to bless the collective. But what we do is that we get those gifts and they become status form. I have the gift of as if it's a badge or I mean, some sort of badge of honor, some sort of chain around your neck. And please, wow, don't God give some with two or three. We act like we flavor flay with some of y'all, it just went right over your head. <laughs> Two or three chains on, and we really look good. But God says, to each one, grace has been given. To each one, grace has been given. And then he talks about the way in which it was given. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in it. And it was debate about what he meant by that is when he said, therefore, because Paul was now quoting Acts, I mean, sorry, Psalm 68, when he says this, he says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And if you read Acts 68, you would realize that that verse says it a little differently and that he didn't give gifts, is that he received them. And the thought here is that what God took he was, he, was, he was taking intended to give back. What do I mean? If you read Psalm 68, which is where he was quoting from, what you will see is where he, he led those that he had taken in his victory captive as he ascended, the thought was, up the mountain in victory. And so he is given the picture how Christ because he has defeated all power, because when he died on the cross and he was resurrected, he rose in victory, that now he was ascending victorious over everything and everyone that could ever have any authority. And as he ascended, he had something that he wanted to give. What was he giving? He gave gifts out of his out of his own free will, the men. And now we read them throughout Scripture, in Romans and Corinthians, in these different places. We read about the gifts of God or those grace gifts that God has chosen to give. In this particular case, he is talking about gifted individuals that he gave. And so he says, when Christ came victorious, he ascended. And for some of you that are wondering when he says, but, you know, what does it mean that he ascended, but first he descended? And debate about what that means. I, I, we're not getting into the debate. Christ descended in incarnation when he came down so that he could ascend in victory one day over sin, over all the powers that had kept us captive. And so he wants you to see the one who is dispensing the gifts is the one who deserves to dispense the gifts because he is the one who came down to be victorious so that he can go up and give grace gifts now that he's victorious. So God says to us, when he gives you and I a gift, 
please don't think it's something for your status and for my status. He said, you have to understand the only reason why you have the gift is because he is victorious. The only reason why I can serve in any gifted capacity is because Jesus first came down, lived as a human, the God-man, died, and now in his victory ascended, and in his ascending, he now gives gifts. So let's not take the gifts lightly. God has gifted every and each believer as he chooses. And he did that because he intends in his victory to use us who have come to him to display his glory to the world. But we're busy trying to display our glory to the world by the gifts in which God gave us. And God says, that's not why I gave them. If you are not using the gift that God has given you to build up the body of Christ, you are misusing his gift. If you are not using the gift that God has given you to demonstrate the grace of God in your life, you are misusing his gift. And so he comes here and he says, He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And that term, fill all things, speaks of control and authority. Not fill as if he's swollen and he's going to fill the room. It talks about his, his dominance and his control. And it says he fills everything. I just want us to see, and I know we may know this, I want us to see just for a moment the authority that Christ has. He is telling us, listen, as I get ready to equip you to put you to work, what I've given you, I've given you because I have all authority and here is what I've chosen for you. See, sometimes for you and I, the gifts we have, we stand there and we go like this. That's it, Lord? That's, that's what you've given me? I would rather have. But why didn't you give me that? Why did you give her and you give me? Wow, I would love to have that. I would love to be doing that. I would love that. I wish that you would have. I said, hold on a second. We just missed all of what he says in 7, 8, and 9, and 10 when it says, he who descended, who was once in perfection. No, he who was perfection descended and so that he could die and ascend so that we can be a part of what he's doing. But I want to say to God, I don't want the gift you gave me. And that's about as much sense as it makes. God says you don't get to decide because you're not the one who established you where you are. God said, I did. And so now he gets into, in this particular case, he only talks about gifted people and and the five or the four to work together. But this is not exhaustive. We know that we can go to Romans and we can talk 
about some more because we know that we can go to Corinthians and hear some more. The whole thought is Christ is doing the giving out of his authority, and in giving, he's expecting something in return. Look what he's expecting. So he says, after he says that he might fill everything, he says, and he gave. Some version says, and he gave some, because everyone doesn't have it. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, which is what all this was established on, and where we get our word of God, I mean, and, and, and where we get the word from the prophets and, 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 and from the apostles who helped to establish that doctrine, which everything is based on. He says he gave them, but then he goes on, and he gave evangelists. And those that continue to proclaim Christ and to proclaim the gospel. And then it says shepherds or pastors and teachers. And what I want you to notice is that these gifted individuals all were given to share God's word. What he gave right here, these gifted individuals that he's talking about, and we're going to see their purpose, all of them fit into this category of giving and bringing God's word. Because if what you're doing doesn't have at its core, at its center, at its foundation, the word of God, you're wasting your time. God says any success in ministry, any success in accomplishing God's plan must come from his word. So what does he do? He sets up gifted individuals in in different ways to give and bring his word. We have the prophets that heard from God of old and established that which we can look at back and see how God has fulfilled what he has said. We have the apostles that established that doctrine for us and then set in order the structure that we now live upon. And then he has the evangelists who are constantly proclaiming the gospel of God that was given now, handed down. And then these shepherds, those that care for the people that are there as they teach them, not all teachers are pastors, but all pastors better be teachers. I know I've heard it said, oh, he's a great pastor, but he can't teach. Have a seat. Because if the one who is shepherding the souls underneath the great shepherd can't dispense and can't break down and can't teach God's word, what good is he? God says the way you do it is in the way you shepherd comes from the word of God, everything you do. If he can't teach God's word, how can he shepherd properly God's people? And so when he gave these gifted individuals, listen to them, he gave them to the church. I know today we're hearing people say, we don't need all that. We don't need preaching. We don't need teaching. I think you better go to the grace giver and tell him that. Because he's the one that established it and said you need it. No, we don't need some of the foolishness we have going on. We don't need some of the games that are being played. We don't need some of the schemes that are happening. But the way God established it is how we need it. But why did he do that? So that the preacher up here can feel good about himself and he can look good? Or so that the evangelist can claim, I'm an evangelist and don't know what he or she does, but I'm an evangelist? 
or that the, or that the teacher can say, I'm a teacher, so you need to listen. No, he gives the reason why he gave these gifted individuals to the church. Remember, diversity in unity, and so now he has this unified body, and he has each part working on its own. But listen to what he says about why he gave it, and this is critical for us. See, this is how the translation would read in the way that most people think about these gifted individuals at church. And we would read it, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, to shepherds and teachers to do the work of ministry. That's how we would read it. To do the work of ministry. To be our professional church people. So that when I come to church, everything is set and done for me. He said he gave these gifted individuals to do what? Y'all read it in your Bible out loud. Why did he give them? To, some says to edify, some says to equip. Who? The saints. Last time I checked, that meant all of us. He said he gave them to do something, to equip the saints. For what? For the work of ministry or for service of ministry. So, Here we go again. God gave to his body, to his church, gifted individuals because as they carried out what they did, what they would do is help each one, the grace that was given to each one, help them to do what they should do. So in this particular case, these equippers are there, these gifted individuals, excuse me, are there to equip those to do what God has given them to do. The deal was to each one grace was given to do what God says, to do the work that I have only for you to do. And he says, to help you along the way, I'm going to give you some gifted individuals, some people that I have gifted in a particular way, and their role, their job is to help equip you. So right there we see there are no such thing as I'm a professional chair or pew sitter. I come to church to get what I can. What did y'all do for me today as I came into church? Man, that music was just not right. Man. Man, that message just wasn't on point like it was before. Man, they didn't set the environment right. You came in with the wrong motive. God said, these gifted individuals that are working within the body are to equip you to do something. But I want to come in to receive something. I just want to come in and sit, Lord. That's all I want to do. I want to come in and hear the word and get out. Come on. Don't, don't, hey, hey, hey. Give me the word. Let me get in. Let me get out. Go on my way. I ain't bothering no one. And that is the mindset of many of the people that attend our churches. God says, I don't have any in my body that come just to sit and head out when it's done. He says, everybody that's in my body is working. Can you imagine if your body did that? If your right lung said, I just came in to see what was happening with the rest of the body. I ain't trying to breathe. Breathe. I ain't trying to breathe. If your right leg said, what? what? Work? Man, I came in to get the nutrients that the heart is giving. Are you kidding me? You know how odd you would look? See, we have that nowhere else. And it works fine and it works well. 
God says, I don't have any body parts that don't work. And if you do, we call that, that's something wrong. We go to see doctors. We, we, we go to see medical professionals to get that thing working. And if they don't, we try and replace it with something that'll get it working. For many of you know, I had a thyroid that was not working, and it did not work repeatedly over time. They removed it, but they couldn't just remove it and give me nothing else. Y'all wouldn't be seeing me here today. They had to do something to replace because there is no body part that can't work. It must function or it must be replaced. And so he says, for the equipping, for the works of service, God says, I want you. I want you to look at what I want you to do. And then he says, for the building up of the equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. What kind of work are we doing to make me look good? Man, thank God for how he's gifted me because I look good doing this, Lord. God is like, it's not about you. He said, it is for the building up of the body. I mean, which is true. Why does your mouth chew your food? Well, for some of us, we don't chew. I, heard, I used to hear that when I was, my mom said, you just swallow it whole. But, but, but why does our mouth chew our food so that it could digest and go down to our, through our esophagus and get to our stomach and those acids and things take it apart? Depending on what we eat, we get nutrients from it. And in those nutrients, we feed the body. Why does my eyes do what it does? Because without them, I would need assistance in getting around. Why does my ears do what it does so that I can hear? And if I don't, I'll need people to help me or I'll need some technology to come beside me. Here's the point of it. God says, I've gifted you individuals and I've ensured that you do your job by putting people around you who would equip you to make sure you do it well. And as you're doing it well, you are building up the body. There's no deficiency. So my question becomes, when there's a deficiency in the body or when the body is looking unhealthy, I have to look at its members and ask them, what are you doing to build up the body? And if you say, I don't know, you're one of those parts that aren't functioning well. But here's what he says after that. He says... Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Listen to what he's saying. You and I are not just here to exist and to carry out our gifting. Here's what we're here to do. God says there is a process that should be happening in this. We are working somewhere. We are going towards maturity. He says, I am trying to get you to become mature as a unified body. Understand this. I'm not just like, you've ever seen a person who works out only one part of their body? Have you ever seen that? You've seen that, right? That arm heavy. They got the biggest arms, look like Popeye. They got the biggest arms under the sun, but after those arms, they look like they've never spent time in the gym. Or they work on their whatever part. You ever seen that? For some of us, it's, 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 it's unhealthy like that. 
What he is telling you and I is that as we do what we're supposed to be doing, we are helping to develop a healthy, mature body. The reason the world is having issues with the church is because we have these unhealthy, disproportionate bodies out there trying to represent Christ because some of it is doing what it should and some of it has no intention of working. And God says, that's not how I made you. He says, until we've reached unity in the faith, and let me finish in just a moment. He says, until we reach unity in the faith to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's going to come when we are with him one day. No, we are not reaching perfection on this side of eternity. But God says, you are constantly working and growing toward that, and you are gaining in maturity toward that. But listen to what he says. The result of that is this, and this is where I want to end this with. He said, the result of that is that so that we may no longer, because you have been, no longer children. See, we want to be mature and that we can handle things in a mature way. We can handle things in a grown-up way. Stop acting like little babies and be some grown-ups in the faith. And he says, so that you are no longer children. And what are children in this particular case? Children that don't, know, understand, that don't understand how to discern what's right and what's wrong. And so we've got a church today, I'm not just talking about solid word, in general, we have a church today that hears so many voices and we keep re responding to all the voices we hear about what kind of church we should be. We have people dictating that we should be good in this area. We should be doing these kinds of works, and so we run over there. No, we should be doing this, and so we run over there. You guys should be doing this, and so we run over there. Instead of hearing from God himself in a mature fashion as to what we should be doing as a body of believers. And so we are like children. Tossed to and fro, running here and there, listening to everything we can. Boom, I hear this, and never settling on anything because we haven't grown up. And he says, listen to how you're carried away by every wind of doctrine. He says, by human cunning. He said, look, here we are. A body that was formed by Christ who is above all, and yet look at what we're being tossed around by, human cunning. That doesn't make any sense. Here it is, you and I are a part of a body that was established by the sovereign God. He said he ascended above all, no power above his, no authority above his, and yet human cunning can get us off track. Schemes can get us off track. He says, you missed it. How on earth does a body that was brought into being by God get tricked and duped by another person? And he says, you do it because you're not grown up. He says, you're still babies. You're still children. And here it is. Not just individually. When you work together, you're still babies. You don't come together. You can't work together. You don't work as a body. There's no unity, and so you're babies. He says, until we all reach unity of faith to the fullness of the measure of Christ. And then he gives us right here where he says, listen to this. 
You're no longer tossed to and fro by, by human cunning, cunning, by craftiness, by schemes, by listening to what we hear from our culture, listening to what we hear from society. We're no longer responding to God's word. We're responding to what we hear around us. But then he says, rather, here's what you should do. And here's how we're going to end it. Speaking the truth. What truth? The truth that you're hearing from those gifted individuals that are giving God's word. He says that speaking the truth in love, and remember, all of chapter 4, all of this is encased, it is encapsulated in the love of God. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. In other words, we are to look more and more and more like Christ every day as we work out our gifting to benefit one another in unity. Let me tell you something. We are not going to demonstrate the glory of God in the way he intended until we are living out our gifting together. Yeah, we got a lot of lone rangers in the body of Christ, and they are living out how God has gifted them by themselves, and we missed it. God says, until you can do that together, you're just an arm out of sync with the rest of the body. You're just out of sync with the rest of the body. You're just a leg that can't walk in unison. You're just an eye that that one's looking this way and that one's looking that way. He says, until you work in unison, you've missed it. So today I'm asking us, what have we been equipped to do? We've been equipped to work toward unity. We've been equipped to work toward unity. God has equipped all of us, those of you who have turned to Christ. We hear about how Jared and Dominique are working down there, and they work as a team in unison. We heard last week about how CJ and Anika are working with a team, and they work in unison. We, we, we hear about how Mike and KB with Young Life are working as a team. We hear about other ministries that we've heard that we've seen that are working in unison as a team. It says, when you come together and you work as a team, you demonstrate the glory of God to a world that likes to live isolated. You want to change this world? God says, you can't do it by yourself. I didn't equip you to do it by yourself. You want to change it? He says, you better get in a body because that's the only way it's going to change. Equipped to work. How has God equipped you? And are you using it in a body to bring that body to maturity? Or are you still trying to let people see how great you are individually working for yourself? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, that today, you have allowed us